Welcome to She Talks Health with Sophie Shepard. Today's woman has a lot of questions about their health and lifestyle choices. But where can you get the right answers? The answer is here and the time is now. Here is your host, Sophie Shepard. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the She Talks Health radio show. This is your host, Sophie Shepard, and we are on Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Voice America is actually the largest live internet radio network in the world, and I am so humbled to be on the network today with an incredible, incredible guest for you. This guest is someone who um, I've just got started to get to know, but has such a beautiful outlook on the way that health care and um, the way our bodies can be supported throughout functional medicine and Western medicine. And I'm just so excited to have him on. The reason I'm so excited is because eight years ago, I was actually diagnosed with Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune disease of the thyroid. And when I went to my primary care physician, I was given a synthetic hormone. And what that did was it actually improved my uh, my thyroid condition by about 50%. I started feeling so, so much better. I had been really exhausted. I'd had digestive issues. I was suffering with depression at the time and a bunch of other uh, Hashimoto's type of symptoms like the freezing cold and just, oh, man, I was miserable and I was only 22. And so when I got this Synthroid, I felt, I felt just like 50% better, really, really started to be able to get out of bed. But, you know, I, I went back to the doctor after about six months feeling like there, there's there got to be an improvement. Maybe I need some more medicine. And what I was told was that my, my numbers were normal and that the, the prescription I had was really stable. So there wasn't much else that that doctor could do for me at the time. And so what I did was I actually went searching for that kind of missing 50%. And what I found was functional or integrative medicine, which truly turned my life around and gave me that extra 50%, helped me operate at maximum capacity as a young a young person. And so in today's episode, I'm interviewing Dr. Adam Perlman, who's the medical director for employee well-being for the Mayo Clinic in Florida. And we're talking about why he chose to enhance his medical expertise with functional and integrative medicine to provide a more comprehensive patient outcome. And doc, Dr. Perlman is actually a senior associate consultant in the Division of General Internal Medicine Department of um, medicine at Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida, where we both actually are right now. Kind of, I'm down here riding out the storm for COVID-19. Dr. Perlman joined the staff of Mayo Clinic in January 2019 as the Director of Integrative Health and Wellbeing for Mayo Clinic, Florida. And in January 2020, just a few short months ago, he was named Medical Director for Employee Wellbeing for Mayo Clinic, Florida. He is board certified in internal medicine and specializes in both integrative and functional medicine. Prior to joining Mayo Clinic, he was Associate Vice President for Health and Wellness for the Duke University Health System. His clinical interests include the applied science and integration of lifestyle, nutrition, complementary medical modalities, and health coaches in treating complex conditions, as well as improving patient and employee well-being. He received his medical degree from Boston University School of Medicine in Boston, Massachusetts, where he completed a residency and research fellowship in general internal medicine, a preventative medicine residency, and a master of public health. His research has been funded by the National Institutes of Health and published in numerous peer-reviewed journals. Holy moly, what a bio. Welcome to the show, Dr. Perlman. Thanks, Sophie. Great to uh, be on the show. 
go with you. And um, I guess I have to shorten the bio. I think the show's almost over now. <laughs> I'm reading that. Yes, it's very long bio. It was just <laughs> a joke. That. That's okay. It's really <laughs> my impressive. grandmother actually wrote it, so that was why. <laughs> Oh my gosh! I was joking with um with the um with you before the show that it was so long that I couldn't quite fit it into the bio for the network. So that's okay. I mean, that's really lovely to have someone with such an impressive bio on the show and to kind of lead us through this conversation, which is so prevalent right now. And I think I just love to kick off. You've been through a lot of school, and you know, even though even though you've done all of the school, you actually went back to school for functional or integrative medicine recently. Is that is that the case? Can you tell us? about that experience? Uh, sure. Well, I mean, yes, I, I, I did um, do a fair amount of training, and I think that uh, that was really somewhat strategic in that, uh, as well as sort of practical and pragmatic. I mean, I need to learn things, but, um, you know, as I, I just, and then I'll jump up to the functional, let me just to clarify it, you know, when yeah. I started my career when I decided to go to medical school, which is a whole story unto itself, I really was interested in, in integration of, well, I would say I wondered why we didn't integrate more at the time, what was referred to as complementary medicine into conventional medicine, and, and, but really wasn't as interested in necessarily becoming an advocate, but really understanding what worked and what didn't work. And if it worked, why didn't we integrate it more? And if it didn't work, why didn't we do a better job in a conventional setting of letting people know that, you know, this may not be helpful or it could be harmful, whatever the case may be. I think that interest really even morphed more into how do we help people to sort of optimize their vitality as opposed to just getting back to some baseline where maybe their blood pressure is back into a normal range, but they don't have the energy they want to play with their grandkids. So that may be for discussion later. But let me just say, as I thought about (laughs) <laughs> you know, wanting to have a career within medicine, within academic medicine, as opposed to what, you know, was also interesting to me at the time, just getting a degree in oriental medicine. I decided for me that I wanted to be inside and trying to transform the system. And so to do that, I mean, I really, uh, as I say, jokingly needed to wear, you know, a shirt and tie as opposed to sandals and tie dye and really, <laughs> sort of recognized early on that I needed a research background, that research was needed to validate many of the things that are out there and many of the claims that are out there so that we could better guide our patients so that individuals could better guide themselves. And so, it, and, you know, needed the credibility to, to allow me to be within organized sort of medicine and, and, and ideally, um, again, you know, working towards helping medicine to evolve and, and, um, that that so that was part of it. I think as I I, I was fortunate enough uh, again early on in my career, right after finishing a research fellowship, to have an opportunity to go to New Jersey and start one of the earlier hospital-based integrative medicine programs uh, for a healthcare system called St. Barnabas in in northern New Jersey, and it was a tremendous opportunity. I you know I. I, I barely, you know, knew what I was doing and, and fortunately got a lot of support along the way and started reading uh, books and, and both sort of training from a business leadership perspective because I had to build this program and be medical director, and but also from a clinical perspective, really started self-training. There was very few opportunities. I think the Arizona Fellowship for Integrative Medicine had just started 
Uh, in fact, when I started, I think it was the first year of the fellows because well, I'd met many of them at an herbal conference in Columbia, New York. And I think that was their first year. So there were certainly few opportunities to train formally. And so I really self-trained uh, conferences and reading and, you know, all the things that we do. And then became very interested in functional medicine probably at least a decade ago um, and began more formal training in functional medicine as well through the Institute for Functional Medicine. And then I think what you were alluding to is it was fairly recently, uh, although I've been eligible to take the national certification um, or the certification uh, probably two or three years ago, it wasn't until November of last year that I, I actually um, went and took the exam and got certified in functional medicine. Wow. What an incredible, incredible story of growth. And I think also you've highlighted this vision that I can't wait to dive into a little bit more with you around what you saw as kind of the future of medicine and how we can not just support somebody to get over a symptom or a diagnosis, as you mentioned, but to really thrive, to really be at optimal, optimal health. And I, I really love that and align with that so much with what I do with functional nutrition is to get someone not just, you know, equal, but even equal plus, you know, let's, let's get them jumping for joy because they feel so healthy. And I love that. And also I did not realize that you were at St. Barnabas. That was my hospital when I was a kid growing up, actually, that was uh, right around the corner from our, from our house in Maplewood. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. No, I lived, uh, yeah, that was, I I was there full time for, I want to get this right, but I think it was about four years. And then uh, it was three and a half, four years. I transitioned most of my time over to what was then University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey, UMDNJ, and I was uh, based out of Newark. Um, most of my time there, uh, kept one day a week and sort of as medical director for the integrative program that I had built at St. Barnabas and then was at UMDNJ until 2011 when I went to Duke. But yeah, no, it was great. I enjoyed my time there very much and... Uh, Fantastic. And you and you also then went to Duke and now you're at Mayo. So I'm curious, you know, when you were at Duke, what was your experience there and how has that translated to what you're doing now at Mayo? And have you kind of learned things along the way about how we can make these integrations work? And I'm also just curious how how your work has been received in, you know, more of the suit and tie, as you said, um, medical establishment. You know, is there an openness to this? And and is it the openness being that, you know, it's in clinical research or there's, you know, backing in that way that is supporting it? And, And how have you kind of pioneered that through your work at Duke and now at Mayo? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I feel like I've had a very blessed career and I, you know, I had some tremendous opportunities. And as I've already said, with a lot of support by a lot of wonderful people, uh, people that were willing to believe in me and, and uh, give me a chance. And I think, you know, kind of thinking through the different phases, you know, and then moving up to Duke, I mean, 1998, like I said, right out of fellowship, I literally, you know, I recognized that partly what I really, what I wanted to do and a big part of my role was... Uh, even more so than the clinical role, and this is just what I decided was right for me in my career, 
you know, was this idea of how do we build these programs? How do we integrate these types of clinical services and do it in a way ultimately that is sustainable and truly impactful on the way that we care for people? Um, and so, you know, I mean, in 98, I was buying literally dummies guides to business plan and an idiot's guide to new product development you know, <laughs> while I was trying to read up on the literature for acupuncture for low back pain. And but really took to that aspect of it, sort of the, I guess, you know, the business aspect of it, but the even thinking through strategically and how do you really sort of integrate these things and um, recognized at least for me, you know, in my career, what I wanted to do, the importance of the academic side. Uh, so, you know, when UMD and J came calling, uh, you know, three years or so into my time at St. Barnabas, it, it seemed right uh, to make that move and, you know, have some time to focus on uh, in a more formal academic setting. Certainly there was plenty, there was academics at St. Barnabas, but in a more formal academic setting on research and some education, but, um, and also focus a little bit on a different population. We didn't have a clinical center there, but it was a much more underserved area. And that was an interest that I had in terms of working um, with more of an underserved population. Mm. So kind of build Barnabas from the ground up, but then getting to Duke to your question, you know, yeah. that was really taking a program that was a wonderful program that had already been started by Tracy Goddard and others at Duke and, you know, uh, had a lot of tra traction and then thinking through how do we sort of take it to the next level um, in terms of its integration with the rest of the Duke system and how it might be even more impactful on the care that we provided for people. So you mentioned that it was mostly research-based or was, were there a lot of, um, is it, was there a lot of patient interaction in that program that you created? Could you describe what you learned in that program and, and how, since you mentioned the research, how the research impacted the program you created? And I guess I know I'll, I'll ask the next question next because I know what you're kind of doing at Mayo too. So that'll probably lead into all of what you're creating there. But I'm just curious how the research informed the program that was created at Duke or, or build, built upon, it sounds like, because it was already started. Sure. And, and again, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm trying, hopefully I'm not being confusing, but I, I was just trying to make the point of sort of the evolution of the opportunities that I've had really spoke to sort of different challenges or quote unquote, you know, the other side of that coin opportunities um, in terms of developing or building programs. So New Jersey was really built from the ground up. There was very few examples at that point of how to put together in a hospital-based integrated program. This was 1998. There were some, but very few, certainly within more, you know, a large healthcare system like St. Barnabas. UMDNJ, to your point, I mean, that was more research and education. We had started up a uh, distance-based master's program at one point, but we, you know, that was when I began to get more involved with on the research side of things. But we were doing some things clinically, uh, you know, for example, we had received some funding through a donation actually to do some work within some of the low-income housing units within Newark. And again, you know, there I learned a lot about meeting people where they're at. I mean, it wasn't about going in and talking about, uh, you know, flaxseed and, and uh, sure. colostrum. I mean, it was much more, you know, basic needs that people needed around their health, but, but also thinking about things like nutrition and those kind of things. Um, so that was the point I was trying to make that in New Jersey at the, I kept the clinical side 
uh, I still had the practice at St. Barnabas, which was really at that point, I think one day a week. Mm. Wow. And when you, when you had that experience of kind of meeting, meeting the patients where they were, I'd love to hear just a little bit about that because we actually have people tuning in from all over the world. So I'm aware that there could be very varying differences in economic status, availability to uh, get foods, you know, we take for granted, I think, um, our flaxseed smoothies and things like that. So what kind of, not maybe advice, but tips or things that you found in in that population could be applicable to perhaps larger populations um, in in relationship to lifestyle or nutrition support? What things could people try? Well, I'm I'm, I'm certainly happy to comment. I would never want to put myself out there as an expert on working with, with those populations because I, I don't consider myself to be that. I think I've had some experience, including during my training, because I trained at Boston City Hospital. But, um, but you know, when I was at Newark, I mean, I, I learned it, and there are certainly others that spent their whole careers, uh, maybe people for you to interview in the future, Dr. Jeff Geller out of Lawrence, Massachusetts, others who, who have done tremendous work, um, you know, trying to address the needs of more underserved populations. And certainly one of the challenges in integrative functional medicine is that you know, many of certainly many of the things that we might recommend are not covered by insurance if it involves interventions like acupuncture or massage. Um, certainly, some of the products, if if those are recommended, you know, typically are not covered. And so, uh, if people don't have expendable income, it can be hard to sort of pursue the comprehensive types of programs that you might be recommending for someone who does have expendable income. So, how do you find a way? But just the priorities are different too. I mean. And this is more general kind of public health. I mean, when you think about the population like Newark at the time, you know, for for many of your listeners, health is like right up there. Maybe it's number one, particularly during this time or, or close to number one. I mean, you know, for many of the individuals that I was meeting with and working with in in, 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 in uh, that certainly under uh, more underserved conditions, um, you know, there was issues that I didn't think about as readily, like safety, you know, housing, uh, food. Certainly those are concerns for many people now, given given the overall economic situation with COVID. But, you know, mm-hmm. there were examples of you could recommend physical activity, things that you and I do all the time. Well, okay, how about just getting out and going to the park? Well, there was an example, I believe this was in New Brunswick, where they had sort of done a whole renovation on this beautiful park and none of the kids were using it. And so they finally had a focus group and the mother said, look, if you put a police cruiser here and, you know, get the drug dealers to leave the park. So we feel it's more safe. Then we'll actually bring our children and allow them to play on this beautiful, you know, on the beautiful things that you've just uh, renovated. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I learned a lot about that. I also, from the get-go, uh, you know, tried to be very open and honest and respectful around the fact that, you know, I, I wasn't from that. I didn't live there. I wasn't from there. Um, I And I didn't claim to have all the answers, but I had a passion for trying to make a difference in the community. And I was open, you know, and, and, and enthusiastic about partnering with members of the community to try to see uh, you know, what we could do to improve their health overall. So it was sort of an attitude and approach that I, I thought was really important because, you know, you're coming into someone else's sometimes home, literally, but certainly community. And, 
really as an outsider and, and uh, need to be respectful of that. Absolutely. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that experience. I know we hadn't really planned to talk about that, but it's it's really, um, it just highlights how I think what you're doing uh, with learning all of these different modalities uh, within, within medicine to support the population that you're given, that you're working with, and to be able to, you know, meet the person where, where you are. I often find that with new clients where you just have to kind of look at the whole picture of the person and where are they? You know, maybe this this treatment plan or this protocol isn't going to work for them because they have bigger issues like safety. Or right now, a lot of um, my protocols and things have shifted because of COVID nineteen and um, you know the inability to travel and things like that. So I love that you've been malleable and also that you continue to keep your passion as the number one focus in order to serve the population that you're in, and and that's just incredible. And I also think that you, in your description of that, actually highlighted something I'd love to talk about, which is that, you know, often with integrative um, medicine, things aren't covered by insurance. And it is something that people have to have an expendable income for. I wonder if you could um, talk a little bit. I think I realize we there could be people on the listen, that listening that don't really know what integrative or functional medicine actually is. And I'd love for you to give us your interpretation of what that means for you um, and how that's different perhaps from um, your traditional training. Yeah. And and again, I, you know, I would emphasize um, this is my opinion. This is the way I talk about uh, what I'm particularly interested in. And again, (laughs) you know, I think we all have kind of our own ways of sort of viewing this, but uh, um, and, and this relates also to what I'm particularly interested in. Um, so for me, uh, you know, I think integrative, and, and again, I've, I've learned this from other colleagues and, and borrowed from, I think, their thoughts. But over time, uh, you know, I, I've come to really focus on three main components when I think about integrative. Um, and it's funny, I'll tell you just this quick story, too, that, you know, I really sort of refined how I talk about this. Uh, probably now, I don't know, it was probably six or seven years ago at least. You know, I was at Duke at the time and, you know, again, really felt like I, I was very fortunate in my career and, and, and I, you know, left this out at one point when I was finishing up a research fellowship. My boss at the time, when I finally sort of told him what I was interested in doing and he basically looked at me and said, are you out of your mind? You know, no <laughs> one's going to hire you. You will never have a career you need to decide you're going to be a researcher or be a clinician and, you know, it was sort of this whole thing. And I, and it was, it was uh, a little tough to hear. It was probably reasonable advice <laughs> given that yes. there was no clear career path. Uh, at the time, I remember thinking that like, gosh, if I wanted to be like an amazing cardiologist here, I was in Massachusetts. I could look to the chair, you know, at Harvard or wherever at Mass General BU and say, gosh, I'd love to be like that person someday. There was very little one could, you know, very few examples, certainly if you want to stay within academic medicine of saying, well, I want to be, you know, there's a career path. You could sort of see where you're going. Hmm. So I understood where uh, my boss at the time was coming from. Fortunately, I, I didn't listen to him um, and, and sort of ended up having a very non-traditional career where I've had really tremendous opportunities in my opinion, but it's been very non-traditional. And I think... Um, worked out for me. I think the way that I think about integrative, like I said, I, you know, here I was doing all this stuff and I really, I 
I mean, this is, is, is true. I sort of have say it this way somewhat as a joke, but I really kind of remember it where I was thinking, gosh, you know, here I am doing all this stuff and I'm at Duke now and my parents have no idea what I do. You know, they're kind of like, yeah, it doesn't seem <laughs> radio. They don't know what it is either, right? And, you know, what is it for me? And, um, and, and what isn't it is another way to think about it too. Because I will say right now, what it isn't for me is being the spokesperson for complementary and alternative medicine. You know, I think that I tend to think about integrative as having, um, at least for me, for me, three main components. Uh, I think the first is this idea, and, and, and let me, before I even go into this, say that I don't, I don't think that integrative medicine owns these. These are concepts or tenants or whatever you want to refer to them as that I think those of us interested in integrative medicine tend to be focused on to one degree or another. Mm -hmm. uh, but the first one, for example, which for me is really patient-centered care, uh, partnering with patients, certainly that isn't a concept that's unique to integrative medicine. I think to me it's a little bit like saying patient-centered is a little bit like using the word well-being or wellness. You know, it, it gets used a lot. I think people have different definitions, and I'm never quite sure what people mean when they use the term sometimes. Mm, so absolutely. I, I guess the way that I would define patient-centered you know, type of care is – I mean, you know, first of all, this idea of partnering with patients clearly, but, but really understanding what patients, what people want their health for, you know, so uh, when I sort of work this into talks that I, that I, that I give at times, you know, I have a picture of an individual, let's just say Dan, you know, and Dan might be a type two diabetic, Dan might have um, maybe overweight, you know, Dan might have some anxiety that he's dealing with. And those are all medical issues that, that, you know, Dan would like some support with. But, you know, Dan's also a father and a husband and, you know, a biker and an avid gardener. And so it's sort of what are all the things that, that Dan really wants his health for and not seeing that individual, you know, somewhat almost solely as a diagnosis, but really recognizing that, that uh, uh, there is this, you know, uh, again, as Sun Seneca, others like to refer to the why of, of, of the reason that people want to improve their health. You know, what do they want that health for? And, and um, mm -hmm. so I think that's a critically important concept because it takes you beyond getting people back to a baseline, right? Yes. So if my diabetes is stable, but I don't have the energy to play with my grandkids, you know, then we're not there yet. Sure. Um, I think the second component is what most people think about, which is really this, what I like to think of as an evidence-based integration of complementary and alternative medicines. So understanding the evidence base and supporting sort of appropriate integration of acupuncture, massage, supplements, the things that fall under this sort of big umbrella. And there, you know, for me personally, it was not only understanding clinically, but, you know, to the degree possible, contributing to the body of literature so that we understand, as I said earlier, what works and what doesn't work. Um, I think Absolutely love that evidence-based part of that and really taking that as the forefront so that we can understand when to use certain tools and just 
perhaps add them to our larger body of, of toolbox with medication and other things. You know, just like my story, I feel like the integration of the evidence behind you know, Synthroid for um, hypothyroidism plus some lifestyle changes that I, I made really supported supported that. And, you know, I did a lot of my own self-research, which, you know, uh, I didn't have someone like you to give me all the evidence, but I think that that's what's so crucial and so incredible about what you're doing is providing evidence to see what's actually real and what's not, because right now there's there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of um, doctor Googling and things like that. So the more evidence that we can get on, on all aspects, you know, that is, that's crucial. So I love that that's part two of your three-pronged approach. Um, what's your number, your third part of um, what integrative medicine means to you? Well, so the third piece is probably the one that um, I've become, I don't want to say most interested in, that's probably the wrong way to sort of describe it, but I, I think philosophically is of, 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 of great importance to me as well, which is this idea, I've already alluded to it, of really um, helping patients to, to optimize their vitality. And, and, you know, I think under this comes prevention um, and other aspects, but it, but it really is, you know, how do we go beyond this baseline and really helping people to live their best life? And for me, the reason that's become very important is, you know, when you ask that question, you know, after you've done the right things medically, you've prescribed the right medications as was done in your case, you know, then it's sort of, well, what else? And the what else typically is not another pill, it's not another surgery, it often is a number of the things that might fall under the umbrella of kind of lifestyle, you know, it's really, how are you eating, how are you sleeping, how are you connecting with others, how are you being physically active, uh, how are you managing stress, how are you showing gratitude and, and working gratitude into your lives, all these things that then ultimately in a more broad sense, define our sense of well-being and, and, and our ability to live our best life in the moment. And, and sort of, I had this conversation with a patient yesterday and, it, and they really initiated it. And it was really about, even in the midst of a number of medical issues, and this was uh, a, a patient in their early 80s, um, some medical issues, and, and but, but relatively, you know, independent and whatnot, in the midst of all of that, how good could they feel, right? There really wasn't, uh, oh boy, it's this medication isn't right, or that needs a different dose. It was really about other things that they could be doing that could help them to explore the potential inside of themselves in this moment for them to feel as good as they could feel. Not that they necessarily were going to be able to run a marathon three months from now, but we literally were talking about, could they be more comfortable getting out of bed and getting dressed? getting in and out of a car because mm -hmm. these were the, some of the things that they were finding challenging. And, and so, you know, to me, that's, that's just good, good healthcare, uh, you know, but it, but it's something that I find myself particularly focused on. Absolutely. I love that. That is incredible. And I think we're all here to support people in getting to that vibrancy of life. Uh, thank you so much for explaining what it means to you in such a beautiful way. And that is going to take us to break. And when we come back, we can talk a little bit more about this integration and what you see for the future and perhaps um, how we can support our bodies right now. Some of the things that you just mentioned going into those would be really helpful for folks around the world who might be looking to 
go into that thriving place. So with that, we'll head to break and we'll be back in just a moment. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Sophie Shepard is a functional nutrition practitioner and founder of SHE. Sophie helps busy women all over the world go from hormonal chaos to optimal hormonal alignment so they can live their lives fully without being held back by their bodies. Using the power of functional lab testing combined with life-changing mindset shifts and integrating the entire body's system. If the only thing holding you back is your health, it's time to stop letting hormonal chaos run your world. Book your health discovery call today by going to SheTalksHealth.com. Are you done medicating and guessing your way through the exhaustion, pain, and irritability caused by hormonal and digestive health issues? Sophie Shepard, founder of SHE, will help you go from symptom-ridden and confused to finally having clarity about how your hormones work and confidence in your health strategy in just 10 days. If you are ready to stop living with no energy, brain fog, anxiety, digestive issues, and painful periods, then check out the 10-Day Digestive and Hormone Reboot at SheTalksHealth.com. We're on the pulse of the world with great shows and hosts. The Voice America Health and Wellness Channel is also on Twitter. We've got ideas to keep you healthy, breaking health news, and more. Follow us on Twitter at Voice AM Health. That's at Voice AM Health. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to She Talks Health. If you have a question or comment about the show, send an email to sophie at she-nyc.com. That's sophie at she-nyc.com. Now back to She Talks Health. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with Dr. Adam Perlman of the Mayo Clinic. He is actually the medical director for employee well-being for Mayo Clinic Florida, and we are talking about his incredible journey through a Western medicine, traditional suit and tie medicine, uh, and and also some integrative schooling that he went through. And he just got through describing what he believes the the definition in his opinion of what integrative medicine means, um, really patient-centered care, evidence-based integration so that folks can really optimize their vitality and live their best life. And I would love to dive in with you about what it means for you, this difference between integrative care or integrative medicine and functional medicine, because these are words that are thrown about and it could be really helpful to hear your input on what that means uh, for you anyway, functional medicine. Yeah, happy to. And again, you know, there are formal definitions. I was involved in developing one of them when I, uh, you know, through the consortium of uh, the academic consortium for uh, integrative health and medicine, uh, which is a group of actually over 75 academic institutions, medical schools that have integrative programs that I've been very involved with for a number of years. So we came up with a definition working with some of our colleagues from the complementary medical schools association consortium. 
Um, you know, and then there is the Institute for Functional Medicine where I've, and other institutes that, that promote functional medicine, but I've done my training through the Institute for Functional Medicine or IFM. And everyone sort of has their definitions. Again, for me, the way I think about it is that, um, you know, I did a lot of integrative medicine for years. I really feel like, and by the way, these lines have totally begun to blur. But, you know, 10 years ago, as I began studying more functional medicine, there was a lot more emphasis on sort of biochemistry, nutritional biochemistry, this idea of really looking further upstream and get at root cause. So, you know, uh, again, the lines have blurred, but but years, a few years back, you know, this example I think was even, you know, was particularly uh, germane or whatever or appropriate would be, you know, if you had a rash in conventional medicine, maybe we put a steroid cream on it in, uh, you know, in integrative medicine, maybe we put, you know, tree tea oil or something more natural on the rash. And I think in functional medicine, there was maybe a little more desire to look further upstream and figure out if you had a food intolerance that was, uh, you know, causing some sort of downstream manifestation or, you know, similarly with kind of joint pain, you know, where you might recommend acupuncture, which, you know, uh, is great. But I think in a more functional approach, you might think about upregulation of NF-kappa B and, you know, inflammatory pathways that might Absolutely. be leading to this inflammation and try to intervene further upstream. You know, now if you go to integrative conferences, there's often sort of either functional lectures that are integrated into those conferences or sometimes even called out. I mean, this sort of, it can be a track that's more like the functional medicine lectures. And so it, a lot of my training in function was really some, a lot of it was going back and, and relearning things that I had forgotten as soon as I could uh, things like the Krebs cycle and how the body makes energy and all these sort of, biochemical processes that uh, used to make my eyes glass over um, now seem to take on more relevance uh, in my practice. And so, you know, I will be honest that there is often a leap of faith that one needs to make in terms of the evidence because, you know, there may be very good evidence or evidence that eating this kind of food upregulates this main inflammatory pathway. And that certainly could lead to you know, uh, pain, joint pain, let's just say that. There often is not well done clinical trials to show that if you remove this food from people's diets, you know, a thousand people's diets, that the, their joint pain goes away. And so, you know, that's often missing. Those kind of studies can be difficult to fund there. In, and, um, you know, that's just the reality of, of, mm. of where we're at. I think the Wow. Now, counter to that is that we're often, you know, what you're really doing is just taking a bunch of junk food out of someone's diet. So even if the joint pain doesn't go away, it's not like you've put them on some radical approach that's, you know, um, in other words, almost like much of the things that you're encouraging people to do is probably good for them anyways. If You know, and again, that's a gross generalization, but in, sure. in some of the core aspects of, of, of the approach. Absolutely. Right? So focusing on what I've even more recently tended to think of as sort of the applied science of lifestyle. And that's really for me what I've gotten particularly focused down on in the last few years. Wow. I definitely want to dive into that next. And I think that your different, different between the difference for you between integrative medicine and functional medicine in that description that you, that you gave was so, so helpful, even for me, 
you know, I think it's true in functional medicine. It's you look upstream, you're, you say, well, why do you have this rash? Why do you have this joint pain? Why do you have this, this headache? And, and then you try to, to assess that and support somebody. And much of the, um, application of how to do that is through those lifestyle changes. So thank you for giving that that definition from your opinion. I think that that's really helpful for people to understand who might be kind of lost in the world of Googling all this stuff and, and not really getting the difference. And I love this phrase, it's applied lifestyle medicine, I think is what you said. And I wonder how that's what you said you're interested in now. So how, we left off with your career at Duke and now you're at Mayo. So could you explain how you've kind of gotten to where you are now and has your experience at Duke or Mayo informed any of that? Um, certainly all my experiences, you know, have informed where I am now. And, and there's an evolution of sort of thought that goes on, I think, you know, maybe for all of us as our careers progress. But, you know, I would say that, um, I really had an opportunity to kind of cut my teeth, I guess, in New Jersey and, and, um, and begin to really focus not only on refining some clinical skills, but as I've said earlier, more so kind of the business leadership, how do we program development type aspects. You know, coming to Duke, it was really an opportunity at that point to, to lead what was then already one of the sort of premier programs, I believe across the country, beautiful 27,000 square foot healing space. Um, again, tremendous clinical program, tremendous educational program, certainly um, developed uh, also a, you know, a, a fairly well-developed research program and try to figure out, okay, well, this is great. How do we take it to the next level? Uh, along the way, I actually was fortunate enough to get a grant from uh, a group that no longer is together as a group, but some of your listeners may be familiar with, which is uh, the Bravewell Collaborative, uh, which was formed by Penny George and, and Christy Mack, uh, two longtime philanthropists and supporters of integrative medicine, amongst others that joined that group. Um, and I was able to get a grant to develop a leadership training program, which was really about trying to bring people in from across the world. Most were from North America, but we had plenty of international to focus on how do we build these programs that are impactful and sustainable. And so I learned a lot, you know, not only sort of running that program, but certainly through, you know, as we often do learn from the participants of what others were doing and, 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 it, and really began to refine a lot of my thinking, refined my own, um, you know, approach both at Duke, at Duke and, and, and I would also credit uh, a guy who made a big difference in my life, kind of Mike Aquilino, who was, uh, is an executive coach who I learned of through uh, Mark Hyman that many of your listeners may be familiar with. And I, I worked with Mike for, gosh, like eight years. Mike was very involved with the leadership program at one point, but I worked with him individually. And he really helped me to sort of refine and, and uh, think about what I do and refine my leadership skills. Um, and so all of that kind of felt like it was coming to a point when the opportunity came at to... Uh, do something at Mayo Clinic. And I really had two interests there. And I'll leave out, you know, too much of the details just because this is only an hour show. So <laughs> you have to let me back for a three hour show and then I can go into all of it. Now. We'll do a part two um, and a part three. Yeah, part two, part two. Okay, leave the listeners waiting. But no, I think absolutely leaving out a few of the details, the opportunity at Mayo was really 
and Mayo Jacksonville, to be clear, right? Because there was, is a program in Rochester that's been there for a number of years, you know, with wonderful people like Brent Bauer, Tony Chun, uh, been around for a long time. There's a program uh, with Denise Milstein in Arizona and others, but there really, there had been a pilot within the breast center at Mayo Jacksonville. And, 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 and by the time I got there, there was still some acupuncture going on in the breast center only, but, but not, and, you know, not really a formal program. And so the, the pilot had gotten enough enthusiasm going that they looked to recruit to bring someone in. And, and I'll have to tell you, to be honest, initially, I was less interested in the opportunity. I kind of felt like, my goodness, uh, you know, not the sound, I don't know what, Cavalier, but a little bit of kind of been there, done that. And I, I was, I had gotten very interested in more of the employee well-being space, mainly because I felt like there was maybe a little bit more innovation going on within the employee well-being, large, you know, self-insured. I think it was a little easier to sort of define a value proposition in those settings. And so, sure. Uh, and I could go way into that, but I, but I won't. So, uh, but I, I, to be honest with you, I got on the phone with the CEO at the time and it, I, I, would, I became more clear on as, as I interviewed and sort of looked at the opportunity is A, that there was a chance to really by and large build the program from the ground up and use uh, many of the lessons I had learned, um, you know, both through what I had done right and wrong personally, as well as from many wonderful colleagues really across the world and what, you know, they were doing and, and maybe, you know, see what that was like. Uh, and there was an opportunity over time to move more broadly into employee well-being and, 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 and do some things there too. So, but initially when I got there a year and a half ago or so, I mean, I focused on building the integrated program from the ground up again with some great support and really took a philosophical approach that, and I, I say this, it's somewhat tongue in cheek, but you know, they're really trying to put integrative, maybe functional medicine out of business, even though I've just developed an integrative functional medicine clinic there. And what I mean by that is that, um, you know, ultimately many of us, many, many of us, uh, certainly academic realm that are involved in integrative and functional medicine do talk about this idea of certainly transforming healthcare as being one of the goals. And, you know, I felt like, you know, I, I felt like we've made a lot of progress, but, you know, that the transformation was slow and that, you know, there's a lot more integration of integrative services within conventional medicine. So you, you know, you can go to the hospital often and Yes, they'll have acupuncture, or they'll have massage or some mind-body medicine, but it's sort of a separate piece. Sure. And, and if we believe that integrating whatever that service is, if someone with low back pain, you know, should have a trial of acupuncture before surgery or whatever the case may be, or within that clinical care pathway, it should be integrated in if the evidence is strong enough, right? Absolutely. And, and, and why sort of, oh, you've tried everything else. Why don't you just go give integrative a shot, you know, and if that fails, then we'll bring you back or whatever the case may be. So, which mm -hmm. had often been the reason or the way that patients have gotten referred to the programs that I'm familiar with, you know. And so, you know, rather than sort of build the program and then kind of do the dog and pony show, I actually reached out to various chairs or departments and said, look, we're putting this program together. I'd really like to focus on clinical care pathways, different populations, and work with the clinicians that are particularly focused on those populations of patients to ideally, you know, shift the way that we're caring for them. 
you know, wow. with openness to that. And so that's a process that's ongoing, but we're already getting a great deal of traction with um, many of our patients. And again, language is important in mm-hmm. this case. So I've started to talk a little more around lifestyle at times. If physicians are more resistant, sometimes that is, resonates a little more. But to be honest with you, it's been really refreshing. I mean, to be at Mayo and that there's a great deal of openness. I mean, Mayo's an amazing place. And, you know, one of the things that I learned early on, you know, there's obviously a rich history there and there's sort of their, their tagline of the needs of the patient comes first. And, and that really is, is uh, something that, that, uh, that people live there. And so that has led to, I think partially led to a real openness for clinical collaboration. Well, if this will benefit our patients, let's take a look at it. Uh, I think, you know, coupled with the fact that the body of evidence has certainly improved, uh, particularly the body of evidence around many of the lifestyle interventions. Um, But just to give you an example, I had one of our cardiologists sit down and say to me, uh, he was interested in sort of reviewing and, re- and evolving the way we care for patients with atrial fibrillation. And he said to me that weight loss and exercise is more important, is more effective than any medication we have for mm-hmm. atrial fibrillation. So let's wow. just figure out, you know, a pathway that allows any patient that needs it to have access to, you know, an opportunity to become more physically active, lose the weight. So that sort of, sort of dovetails with a particular interest that I have in health coaching and integrating health coaches. And of course, along the way, it's not just the lifestyle piece, but you know, I'm working with our headache specialist and talking about this, some interest in diet on their part and, and certainly an area where I do some work, but also things like when might we integrate acupuncture in for patients who are suffering from headaches. And, and really, again, thinking of it as a part of a clinical pathway is not a clinical care pathway as opposed to sort of at the end of a long line of interventions when nothing else is working, throw, you know, why not throw an integrative medicine referral? Wow. That's an incredible, incredible thing you're doing. And I love this idea of the clinical care pathway and what can we really do to improve just patient outcome. And we can, we can try these things that have this evidence and see if it works and see if it supports them. And, and if it doesn't, you know, there's other, there's other options down the pathway that we can try. So, so just to be clear, what you're what you're really saying is this is what you're trying now at Mayo, and and in your world you would it, you wouldn't have all these different things integrative, functional, Western. We would it would just be about creating a better patient outcome. It would just be medicine, right? Is that kind of what you're yeah, alluding to? Yes, yes. And again, you you alluded to something very important: is sort of if it worked, it doesn't work. So you know, along the way, you also we also are you know wanting to look at outcomes and, and be able to often initially as a pilot say, okay, well, what are the outcomes we're getting and does this really make a difference and, and what have you? So that's certainly an important component. And, and I say that, you know, back to your point, I say like, you know, put integrate out of business. I'm not saying that there isn't a role for having a location. We have a small location uh, where we do have, you know, acupuncture, massage and mind body. Mm-hmm. Um, we have also sort of, a plan to have more embedded. So it may not make sense. A patient that's getting chemo and has nausea, you don't want to have to bring them over to a different building to get acupuncture necessarily. So, you know, to have some more embedded services where it makes sense. So, you know, all of that is a part of what we're doing. Um, 
I, I just mean in terms of uh, more so even kind of the way that we think about, you know, integrative. I mean, what, 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 you know, what, what causes something to be complementary medicine versus conventional? I think more and more for certain things as the evidence base grows, you know, the line becomes more blurry. And I think it's a much better approach to be more proactive about thinking, okay, what's the best approach based on what the evidence tells us? Um, and, and again, to the degree that includes interventions that like acupuncture, herbs, massage, whatever, mind-body medicine, let's proactively think about how the, the best way to integrate that into a clinical care pathway as opposed to, you know, as I've already said, sort of at the end when everything else has failed, you know, we're not sure what to do with you anymore. Let's send you over to the integrative folks or the functional folks. Right. Not that we won't take those patients too. You know, uh, I'm happy to, and my team is happy to try to help whoever comes through our door. Uh, I'm just saying in an ideal world and in, in a way to bring about more transformation, you know, let's see if we can, you know, have a different way of thinking about the way these services integrate with each other and ultimately impact on patient care. Absolutely. I love that. I think that's a, it's a really smart, innovative way to think about it. And I can't wait to see what comes of it and the successes that hopefully will come because you are really paving the way. And I know as we were coming to kind of the last two minutes of the of the program here, if you're listening to this and you feel like you've kind of hit a brick wall, just know that there is, you know, hope out there. People like Dr. Fullman are working on these clinical pathways, uh, care pathways for people across spectrums of different disease states. And there, you know, there may be many things that you can try that sh- that would support you. And I think the the thing for me as someone who's not a physician that I, I absolutely love, uh, Dr. Perlman is that, you know, when you are, when you are in that place where you're so exhausted and you, you know, you might have your blood markers go down, but you can't play with your kids, for example, the, the, you know, that kind of thing. It can feel really frustrating when you feel like you do have to go to different doctors or different people or pay out of pocket for this or run over to this person. And how wonderful would it be to, it's probably a little bit utopic, but how wonderful would it be to have these kind of clinical care pathways, these places that uh, where people can really um, hit it from all angles and see and make sure that there's no stone left un- unturned. So thank you so much for sharing this vision. Is, is there anything else that you'd just like to end with? We have about one minute left. I don't know if there's any uh, advice or tips or um, positive thinking that you want to send out to the world before we close. Um, I can't wait to see what happens with this. Well, I mean, just sort of building on what you've just said, I think that, um, you know, at the end of the day, it, 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 it's about team-based care. Uh, it's about pay, putting the patient first. That's certainly critical. I think that, um, you know, even coming out of this challenging time that we're all in, and I don't know if this, this will be recorded. People may be listening to it later. But, of course, at this moment, we're in the heart of this whole COVID-19 pandemic. And, um, you know, I think challenging times like this often lead to moments of innovation. I think coming out of this Telehealth will be a whole new thing, um, integrated, mm. and that will open up opportunities as well. And and for people to access care at institutions and from providers that maybe were hard to do before. I think insurance needs to step up more. Medicare just started covering acupuncture for low back pain. That's a huge step uh, forward, and and hopefully more of that in the future as evidence continues to grow for other indications. So, you know, I think it's it's a challenging time for many people. Um, 
you know, I certainly would end by, by wishing everyone out there uh, uh, that they are safe and they are well. And, um, and, you know, thank you for inviting me to share a few moments with you on the show here. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Everyone be well, stay safe, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us this week for She Talks Health. Please join Sophie Shepard again next Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time for another episode of our show on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.